Here we are. We're back. What are we doing? We're having a conversation with Sarah. (laughs) What's going on? Hi. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. We don't want to do the generic, like, who are you and what do you do? But before this, you were just talking to David and, and said something interesting, which is you're a CEO of this company, Lever. You do this once a quarter, and David's like, what brings you to Boston? He said, once a quarter, I get out and go meet customers. Like, that seems, we're just saying that's crazy. Like, yeah. how many CEOs are doing that? Like, and why do you do it? Oh, it's my addiction. I mean, it, it kind of gets to my background and, and what even drew me to tech in the first place, because mm-hmm. I have the great honor and privilege of being a designer founder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my education was in design. Mm-hmm. I studied design at Stanford. I don't know if you're at all familiar with the Stanford D School, yeah, but sure. they're kind of big proponents of what they call human-centered design thinking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And essentially that's saying use a blend of psychology as well as being kind of a technologist and go in and identify, you know, the needs Mm -hmm. of like single people, groups of people, and use kind of that almost like understanding of their needs as the starting point for innovation. Mm -hmm. So I am addicted to user research and getting just like that firsthand exposure to like how teams work, how organizations work. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like you got to go out there. So, you know, it's maybe like my indulgence or mm-hmm. going you know, back yeah. to basics. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the design team doesn't let me like design, do anymore. design <laughs> of lever anymore. And so this is kind of my one contribution still in the design camp. So that's what brings me out here. And it's, it's the best. I it's love funny. It. it feels like that's back. That kind of thinking is back because kind of early in you know, I have gray hair, so I've been around <laughs> a long time. But like early on, there was a lot of human-centered work. You know, you would read about it in like CMU and a lot of places like that that were focused on this. And it was kind of this is back in New York City where I grew up and worked originally. And it was kind of a big thing. And then I felt like I didn't hear about it for a long time. And I feel like I'm hearing about it a lot more now, right? The importance of design. And I don't know why, why it's fluctuated. Like most things have been flow. Yeah, well, at least for me, I think that everybody now has been using a smartphone, a mm-hmm. tablet, mm-hmm. like for years. And the simplicity yeah. that you've come to expect from mm-hmm. software, from applications, I mean, it's kind of the new normal. Yes. So yeah. Lever, of course, builds software for businesses mm-hmm. to run their hiring process. And so I think now what we're seeing is people are now demanding really elegant, simple user experiences in the workplace. And so out with the kind of clunky, like Mm -hmm. click-heavy, confusing systems that nobody really wanted to work with, the things that actually almost got in the way of you working. working. And in with this kind of new generation Mm -hmm. of software, and I feel like Drift is a big part of that too, that people are actually drawn to where the software kind of melts away and you're just collaborating with your colleagues, you're just making connections, making decisions. And, you know, I, I actually think that's kind of a big reason why design has a really important kind of role to play in catalyzing change. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> something agree. that we that's something that we talk about a lot here, which is like what's changed is everybody has that experience in their personal lives now. And so then when you go to work, you don't expect it to be different, right? You know, you're using Instagram and WhatsApp and whatever. And, and that's just in messaging as an example, but whatever products I'm, I'm using, whatever I'm using for email, what I'm using for video. And then you go into work and you're like, okay, it's time to use my business software. And it feels like this crazy outdated piece yeah. of software. Like, and it used to be clunky on both sides. And now it's like, so everyone's been taught about the importance of design in everything that we consume in our normal lives that you see the stark difference mm-hmm. when you come to work right mm-hmm. it's really highlighted 
And did you know Keith is a master of crushes? Yes. This is look. another super this fan. Like, He's done a good job though. Yeah. He, every one of Keith's like super, every one of Keith's like fandom, like thing, like things has always panned out into a great podcast episode. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think we're in good company. Lever might be his like second oh, biggest crush. Up. His biggest crush is someone who we've had on the podcast before and speak, Molly Graham. Molly Graham. Yeah, yeah. She's <laughs> amazing. Give away your Legos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give away your Legos. Listen to crush. that episode, yeah. everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> biggest crush yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. been talking about Molly Graham forever and he's been talking about Lever since, when was it? When we were at HubSpot um, a while ago. 14? 2014? Yeah, maybe 13, 14, something like that. What was it that he said? Like? He was a, well, one, he was obsessed about... Um, he was on to us early. That was very when early. we launched our very first uh, yeah. first version of the product. Very early 2014. on, 14. And he was, well, one, we took a different approach to recruiting within our team, which was the product engineering design, that side of the company. And I wanted this approach that was kind of like, it's all meta because of all this, what we're doing now, which is all focus on the candidate and focus mm-hmm. on like, because mm-hmm. I've been just obsessed about like experiences, because I think experiences are the new thing that you buy. It's not even like... For us, I talk about all the time, like, it's not a product or a service or a human thing or a bot thing. or It's just, like, an experience that I want. And those are the only things that we disproportionately value now are these experiences. And so I wanted this amazing candidate experience, right? And because I think the candidate experience is the experience, is the brand, is the whole thing. Like, every piece is the brand. And so I wanted that. And we had kind of a clunky process in the rest of recruiting in HubSpot. So we created our own process in there. And so... You know, we had Keith totally focused on that, and we took an approach of recruiting people one person at a time. Uh, we didn't use any of the tools or any of the approaches that the rest of the company used. And at some point, Keith was dying for an ATS, <laughs> uh, but we would ne- I would I would I wouldn't let him buy an ATS for a long time because I wanted to because I forever actually that was the whole thing forever because I didn't want the tool to get in the way. Yeah. And I didn't want the, you know. Well, that's we, exactly what we're talking about. This yeah. kind of old generation, mm-hmm. new generation, yeah. and the conflict that kind of has existed. It's, totally. it's really crazy. I said, Keith, I said, what should we talk about? And he's like, like ask her this because the, the line was, he said, they built a product that was built for the candidate experience, uh, not yeah. the recruiter experience. That seems like the, the thread, right? Like, Is that the idea behind Lever? Yeah. I mean, just to kind of set the stage, I think the biggest idea behind Lever is that, you know, how we think about our careers has changed. Mm-hmm. And therefore, of yeah. course, how you have to think about hiring has changed, how you have to Everything think about changes. designing recruiting mm-hmm. has changed, how you, of course, think about recruiting software has changed. So what has changed about, you know, employment and careers and like our expectations from work, millennials entering the workforce, we're seeing these macroeconomic, macrocultural things mm-hmm. shift. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bureau of Labor Statistics is probably the best you know, certainly in the U.S., the best source of these kind of like data insights. And one of the things that they're tracking is, of course, average yeah. tenure yeah, yeah. Uh, that people are Track staying in jobs. Yeah. And I mean, I think about my parents and mm-hmm. like, you know, my dad has changed jobs twice yeah, in his, his entire life. life. It's amazing. And I mean, people are now expected to have something like seven jobs mm-hmm. in their 20s. Yeah. And just in their 20s. Just that's in their 20s. Amazing. Yeah. And essentially the average time that people are staying in a company is mm-hmm. shortening, yeah. not because the companies are bad, the jobs are bad, but just the new belief that people have about what work is worth doing and what experiences yeah. yes. they want in their careers. So I think as a response to that, organizations need to completely embrace a different kind of like 
premise on talent mm -hmm. and increasingly, you know, you are attracting people to you. Yep. You are hiring people as kind of an ongoing velocity. Mm -hmm. And in response to, that, I think, recruiting is shifting away from this administrative kind of paperwork, yeah. like I yep. post a job and I fill it too. Well, or like we have a conversation here internally with the recruiting team who can sometimes feel like married to the system, which is yeah. like, well, we're having a conversation with Sarah and well, what role is she in? We don't have this. It's not listed in here. And then where yes, do we fill out right? the thing? And then where does this go after? That's the old and, administrative mindset. Yeah. And you know, that's because recruiting came out of HR. Mm -hmm. But in the new world, people are realizing that, you know, we have to think about talent as a velocity and managing that pipeline is a lot more like sales and marketing and the other strategic totally. parts mm -hmm. of the business. Mm -hmm. And of course, therefore, you've got to go beyond applicants yeah. and break out of thinking about this post a job and fill it world yeah. and start thinking about building and managing relationships, having something compelling from a storytelling perspective to tell these people, you're seeing the rise of recruitment marketing, of talent branding. Mm -hmm. And I think true success happens when you do one really critical last thing, which is make it kind of part of the entire company's responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Every single person is collaborating, yeah. contributing. If you can build it into your culture, yeah. that mm -hmm. you are all ambassadors of mm -hmm. you know opportunities here then i think that's where yeah. the flywheel of succeeding with yeah. the new kind of like called millennial mm -hmm. talent challenge i think that's when people really start seeing success totally so, agree we yeah. try to live that every day here of just like it's everyone's job to recruit right yeah. and like referrals are a big part of it we mentioned something earlier which was job descriptions which yeah. was like actually back in when he discovered lever at first part of what i was trying to resist with a traditional ats not lever was just the software getting in the way. And one of those things that was driving me crazy was just the whole idea of job descriptions mm -hmm. because it kind of forced this behavior that I saw in the other recruiting departments and other companies that I had been at, which is like, we have a rec, we have to fill this rec. Yeah. How do we know this is the best person? Because they have the most things that are identified on this rec, you know? And it was like this whole meta thing. And I was yeah. like, at some point, I got rid of all recs in, in our team and just said like, we're just going to recruit people one at a time. We're going to like adapt jobs to like the skills of the people that come in. And I said like, because the recs were, we were hiring people almost on autopilot because they filled some requirements. And my thing was like, I made up all the requirements. You know, like someone, if it, in this case it was me, but someone somewhere sat and made up requirements, yeah. right? Which were like frozen at some point of time and thinking of the company, which will probably all change by the time someone's there. Will definitely change a year from now. So it was just a weird way of like, checkbox like they had the most checkbox so we should hire them yeah there's a crazy we actually just felt this recently so dc found this amazing candidate for a role that we don't have posted mm -hmm. and he reaches out to her sends her an email she says oh thank you so much for the no big fan of what you all are doing over there but i looked at the website and it doesn't look like i'm a good fit for the job that you have posted best of luck and then we're like, no, 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 don't, don't worry about that. That's actually not, the That's reason we're reaching we're out is because we think there's a fit. Like, we don't even know the job description. Yeah. Let's talk. Yeah. And I think that the thing we found is like so many of the best people at Drift, there was very rarely ever yeah. a, yeah. we were hiring for X. We found X. It's like, whoa, we happen to meet Gonzalo. We happen to meet whoever. And then that's how it happens. Well, that's the thing, right? So many of these 
HR systems, they didn't actually have a whole lot of room for humans nope. in them. Nope. And, you know, that's actually one thing that one of my biggest, I guess you could call it pet peeves mm-hmm. about the you know software category that Lever's in and something we're really trying to change. I mean, we're trying to do all these things. We've talked about making modern, simple, kind of like mm-hmm. user friendly software. But at the same time, we're also, it's not about the process. It's about the people. And so for better, or for worse, we've decided to build like our whole notion of what is the fundamental unit in our system. It's a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're a lot more like a CRM, like a relationship management Mm -hmm. platform Mm -hmm. than we are like a process management platform. And, you know, one of the things that we put a lot of effort into is building those relationships and doing it kind of getting your people, your Mm -hmm. employees at the forefront. So, I mean, we have this product that we call Lover Nurture, and it is a way for you to take people that maybe you don't have a job open, or maybe they're currently, Mm -hmm. you know, at a job, and you're just trying to keep the relationship going. The relationship going. Yeah, you can reach out to them, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be some kind of automated, weird, impersonal thing. You can actually have the real voices of different people at your company Mm -hmm. be the ones that are sharing their story. I love that. Yeah, and it's like... That's, I think, what organizations want to build relationships that way. Mm -hmm. Talent out there want to build relationships that way. If you actually kind of make a marriage, Mm -hmm. those are going to be employees that are passionate, invested in your culture, invested in your brand and your Mm -hmm. mission. So, yeah, I really do believe there's a new way to hire out there. I think Lever is doing its part to try to make change. But I think organizations and leaders inside of companies, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's scary to stick your neck out and do it. And that's why I think the companies that are going through hyper growth are the ones that are driving the most innovation, Mm -hmm. that are taking the biggest risks. And I think that they are proving that that way of thinking that's better for everybody is more successful because they're able to pull off this astounding like year over year growth and like have such strong cultures Mm -hmm. while they're doing doing it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, what we think and what we see is just like, it's all the people, right? Mm -hmm. And so like you talked about sales and marketing and this and like moving recruiting and people, you know, up to that level. And it's like, well, my view, it's like it's more important. Those things are just the end result of having the right team. And yeah. like, you know, whether you succeed or not, to me, is is the team. Yeah, right? and tying it back to that macroeconomic, mm-hmm. again, I mean, we saw a shift in the past from the industrial to sort of the yeah. service industry. Mm-hmm. I would even say we're going from a service industry to call it an experience yeah, industry yeah. Yeah, yeah. where knowledge workers mm-hmm. and the creative class, it is just people. Yeah. You know, it's not even sort of like the industrial machine anymore. Mm-hmm. It really is the ingenuity, creativity, passion of people. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the emphasis on finding the right fits and making those kind of matches mm-hmm. um, in the world. I mean, that's both getting harder, but also more business critical. Yeah. What led you to want to be a designer? Oh my like, what's the origin story? And where did you grow up? Now we're really yeah, going yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'll give you 50 guesses to guess what state I grew up in. Okay. <laughs> Near California. Not no. California. Okay. No. It's got to be like the middle of the yeah, country somewhere. Yeah, just something that no. we're not thinking of. No. I was you thinking. Sounds, I don't know. It sounds like you're yeah, West Coast. Yeah. All right. Well, I won't torture you. Okay, uh, Alabama, on. Birmingham. No way. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Was your dad in NASA? No. Oh, okay. Although, good call. Yeah. Uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville. Oh, you were at Huntsville. No, I was in Birmingham. Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. No. I. Uh, my dad is in uh, medical research. Okay. There's a medical school there. Yeah. Growing up in the South as an Asian American is definitely an interesting experience. experience yeah. I wasn't born there, so I even moved there. And yeah. I think at the time I was like a preteen. I was just yeah. like, we're going where? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but honestly, Birmingham, Alabama. it was such a great experience for me. Yeah. I would recommend it. Yeah, it's yeah. getting very hip nowadays. Oh, really? I sort of don't even recognize it when I go home. There's like artisanal coffee, climbing gyms, <laughs> and amazing. all sorts of things. Well, everything's getting hip now because of the internet. Hip. The internet has given access. It's I grew Instagram, up, right? Yeah, totally. It's Instagram. <laughs> I grew up in New York City, and the time I grew up, it's like, obviously, is before the commercial internet. Everyone would come from all parts of the country to be there because to be in certain kinds of scenes, which mm-hmm. you would describe, you know, artisanal coffee or whatever, whatever hip scene you wanted, whether it was art or what have you, you had to be there. Yeah. Or you had to be in some other city like that to because everyone was there and that's how you kind of learned about all the stuff and then as the further you were away from those centers you know the the harder it was to be part of those scenes Mm -hmm. and then I do think there is this part of like what the internet one thing that it helped do especially Instagram is like to make that accessible to everyone so like you can go anywhere and have the you know blue bottle equivalent or the you know hipster this or the hipster that and that wasn't the case ever before yeah well there is something that has always made me really passionate about technology which is how it democratizes things yes yeah so you know from birmingham alabama to where i am today what happened well uh let's see i think that if i trace back all the sort of ingredients i guess that led me to lever uh there definitely is a part of it that comes from alabama so we founded Mm. lever in 2012. yeah it really was because it was this great opportunity to combine what was this amazing thing happening in the world yeah you know whether or not lever existed Mm -hmm. talent was changing recruiting was changing there was something big happening there so you know we got to do something about it I came out of Google, and I think Google was really, yes, this is definitely Laszlo Bach era. (laughs) And I mean, it was front row seats. I actually had the great fortune. My very first job out of college was, of all things, speech writing for Marissa Meyer. How? I don't You know, I asked her later, and she was just like, you know, she had an answer for me, but I still was just like, I don't know, this is just like. When Keith mentioned that, I was like, was that like a, was like a a posted job that you (laughs) applied for? Like, how did. No. No. I mean, the answer Marissa gave me was she at the time had been really involved in hiring and talent. Mm -hmm. I mean, really involved. And she made a bet with Jonathan Rosenberg, who Mm -hmm. was another executive at Google at the time. I bet I can grow talent faster than you can hire talent. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this was just part of Google's entire ethos about recognizing that yeah. the rules had changed, changed, the game had changed, yeah. how you have to think about hiring, you got to get way more creative, way mm-hmm. more strategic, way more proactive. Mm-hmm. And so she founded the associate program, program yeah, at Google, yeah, yeah. which is kind the of like APM the most, program. yeah, exactly. It's yeah. kind of the most unremarkable name for yeah. what created a, a whole kind of, it was a remarkable opportunity for me personally. And uh, a lot of great people who have done, gone on to do great things have been a part of it. So she knew she wanted one of her associates yeah. to be mm. her speechwriter and she had never had anybody do this before. It was the first time anybody was going to yeah. be helping her. So it's probably exactly like the kind of job that <laughs> Dave tries to yeah. Dave tries to hire for. So yeah. she picked my resume out of the pile. Yeah. Because I had studied engineering, check. She speaks largely to engineering audiences and about engineering. She, at the time, was VP of search and user experience. So then I also had the design Design side. side. And then I, of all things, had a minor in comparative literature. Okay. And she can write. (laughs) Get her in here. Yeah, the recipe. Just like you drew it up. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. What what did you learn from that experience? Not like, obviously, I'm sure you learned Oh, my God. Front row seats to how hiring and talent is a C-level issue. Yeah. I worked with her on her internal speaking, her external speaking, and I can't tell you the number of times that hiring, recruiting, talent, 
came up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, board meetings mm -hmm. we're talking about here, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And it was kind of just remarkable in the Laszlo era yeah. to get to see how creative Google was getting, mm -hmm. how much they were investing in it, and how much that investment paid off in what, of course, would become a mm -hmm. game-changing industry, revolutionizing talent brand, yes. recruitment process, mm -hmm. and they cooked up some custom software over there yeah, as yeah. well. So I think the Google kind of environment really informed a lot of what I could then see truly worked. Yeah. And so one of my co-founders also comes from Google, mm -hmm. Nate Smith, also was in the associate program. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so I think we had a really clear vision mm -hmm. of what would be important in our software. It had to be a CRM. It had to bring in the best of, you could call it sales and marketing technology yeah. to talent. And it had to make recruiting a shared collaborative experience for mm. everybody in the company. I like that. That was a principles. huge part yeah. of Google. Yeah. Of course, we left Google to go do that. So yeah. thank you to the Goog. Yeah. So 2012, we got started. And then I think the second thing that, of course, was part of my background that led me to Lever was that design education. Mm -hmm. And so we left Google and most intrepid startup founders, you know, like busily close customers or yeah. build software. We didn't do any of that. We actually spent our first nine months as a company mm -hmm. doing immersive user research. Get out of here. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. we reached out to a bunch of companies, yeah. a bunch got back to us, and mm -hmm. we just set up camp inside of recruiting teams, yeah. like surrounded by busy recruiters. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the people that we spent a lot of time with on the ground was Twitter when they were going from 700 to 1,500 employees yeah. in six months. Basically. Crazy. That's how yeah. the growth, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so really I think yeah. that design <coughs> approach is yeah. embedded into mm. us as a company, and we haven't stopped ever since. And then I actually do think bringing Alabama back in here, the way Alabama has even surprised me in being a really big influence in terms of my personal approach to Lever has actually been in our focus on diversity and inclusion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 50-50, right, from a gender? 50-50 in the company overall. We're actually 43% women in technical and engineering what? roles. What? How's that? What kind of judo? We teachers did judo. Teachers did judo. Yeah, I mean, fifty-three percent women in leadership and management. Forty percent wow. women on our board. That's amazing. Yeah, and we're forty percent non-white. Yeah. One of the areas we have actually have to really work on is supporting parents mm -hmm. and lots of different family structures better. So that's been a new initiative. Yeah. Uh, in the last few years, so yeah, we have invested a lot in diversity and inclusion. I'm really proud of where we are and of course there's a lot more to do yet mm -hmm. and I do think that that for me it's almost surprised me because you know now I can look back and see this thread but at the time I wouldn't have mm -hmm. necessarily seen it but when I was in high school I was one of two non-white people yeah. in my school yeah it's crazy yeah my entire school and Birmingham as a city was actually very segregated, like yeah. resegregated okay. mm -hmm. almost. And it was really obvious that there was this, there were the white mm -hmm. communities, there were the black communities. Mm -hmm. And I, my, my guidance counselor picked me out to go to one of these sort of like cross-pollination things at yeah. the Civil Rights Institute, which is an amazing institution mm -hmm. in Birmingham. And all the leaders from the civil rights movement yeah. are still working and doing amazing work for their mm -hmm. communities today. So I go to this day off of school and you do all this mm -hmm. stuff and all the programming is built around if you're if you're white over here, if you're black over here, or we'll do a mixed thing of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of uh, just like, here. where do I go? No, yeah, 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 yeah. I actually, from that, spent four years working with the Civil Rights Institute. It was kind of yeah. my passion thing. It was, it was what I did in high school. Mm -hmm. And I kind of never thought that would come full circle. Oh, yeah. I always thought 
diversity would matter for lovers. So from mm-hmm. the time we were like sub 10 employees, we mm-hmm. had a DNI committee yeah. and we invested in it from day one. But I think for a long time, I thought that that would be, you know, we would just do it for us. Because, yeah. you know, 2012, the conversation about diversity was not mm. nearly no. uh, as at the forefront now. And I mean, mm. if you think about back then, even the Ellen Payo yep. kind of yeah, like, yeah, sure. I, I didn't see things making a lot of progress. Yeah. And then, of course, since then, it's just been really invigorating for us as certainly a company that invests in it for ourselves, but also as you know, a company that has from day one factored in how will our decisions in our product mm-hmm. affect Facts, yeah. fairness, equality, yeah. diversity, yeah, bias. Mm-hmm. We've thought about it from day one, mm-hmm. but now we are actually hearing, you could call it the market, yeah, care tell about you that. that yeah, yeah. It's wild. It's yeah. such a different time. I always tell the story that Elias is my co-founder, and I met him like 10 years ago, and that I had worked and I'm from New York City, right? Like not Birmingham, New York City. But I had worked in technology for 10 years and I had never worked with a brown person. I was the only one. Mm-hmm. Like I had never even seen one. Like yeah. worked with one on the software engineering side, which is where I came from. Until I met him and I was like, he's from Nicaragua. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> you're the first one. Yeah. Wow. It was crazy. 10 yeah. years. It was insane. And that was in New York. That it's is really radically crazy. different now it is and i think even at places where let's call it the demographics aren't there now Mm -hmm. the conversation is there for sure and that's like i think almost more important Mm -hmm. right so yeah i would say that what are the three most critical things to do when you're about to start hiring for hyper growth Mm -hmm. or you know to to pull that off successfully i think one go beyond applicants yes number one thing i ran number one thing yeah back to that two Make sure hiring is collaborative Mm -hmm. and a team sport. Mm -hmm. And then three is invest in diversity and inclusion. Yes. Mm Yep. It's always the stuff you kind of woulda, coulda, shoulda afterwards. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost like you can't things. wait until hyper growth for that to happen. You have that has to be the DNA, yes. that has to be the, yeah. the the groundwork that you lay on day one yeah. so you can be set up for and that. To me, yes. those three things are they're the same, right? With Keith and the recruiting team, I'm always, you know, they'll bring up it's like, how do we get better diversity? How do we get better this? And then it's like it's the decisions you make every day. It's like, you know, you may say that, but you, as I'm just picking a recruiter, are just taking the easiest stuff that comes in and you're not saying, I'm not going to take that. I'm going to do the hard work and I'm going to spend the time to invest and go do this. That's actually how it happens. It doesn't happen because we create a, a magic program yeah. or something. Right? Yeah. Like there's no magic program. Absolutely. Answer. You said you were impressed that over 40% of our engineering yeah. team are women. Super impressed. 83% of our engineering team was proactively sourced. Yes, that's how. They go hand in hand. Hand in hand. Yeah. That's exactly how. Yeah. Otherwise, it would yeah. never happen. Yeah, or I guess I should say referrals. So referrals, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, But that makes the whole thing one thing, right? Because the referrals and getting your team involved, diversity has to be part of that mm-hmm. conversation. And then doing the hard work has to be part. The whole thing has and, to work And if together. you think about it, what do you measure recruiters on? How many jobs you fill, right? Yep. So if you have an inbound applicant, it's a good conversation. You have them in. They seem great. Why would you not make that higher versus if you can go the other way and like you're doing 83% is from outbound, you can actually control that. And so we had a conversation recently about a new role we were opening up here at Drift. And it's like, wait a second, we have the opportunity to shape this role Mm -hmm. to be whatever we want it to be. Let's start from there and then go build it the right way as opposed to like, okay, well, here's who applied. So we got to pick somebody from this pile. pile. Yeah. And I mean, actually, you talked about hating job descriptions. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. do something at Lever that I actually, this is my one huge thing. Like, actually, I get 
get a little grumbles from people because they know it's like my big thing. <laughs> I um, get plenty of grumbles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. we don't do job descriptions. Yeah. We do impact descriptions. Oh, nice. So we completely flip it. You don't yeah. describe a person mm-hmm. or like a ideal person, skills, responsibilities, yeah. requirements. Mm-hmm. We actually say describe the impact. Yeah that we need Mm -hmm. and so you write what within one three six and twelve months yes this Mm. person what the impact Impact will be will be i love that yeah Mm -hmm. and i mean it works on so many levels Mm -hmm. i think one it actually gives a recruiter a great picture of what kind of person they need and you're actually tapping into their skills to maybe match Mm -hmm. unorthodox or diverse profiles or backgrounds into this it's like oh yeah i totally know i can ask about this or i know what to Mm -hmm. do two this is totally where you know you call it your hiring managers but like the employees know their stuff when Mm -hmm. it comes to what impact goals success they need and you know they don't know how to describe a recruiting Mm. jd you know what i mean so you're getting your employees engaged Mm. and then i think thirdly you're actually getting the best candidates out there a compelling story Mm -hmm. And best candidates out there read a standard job description, their eyes glaze over yeah, yeah. They and they move on. Totally. So you're almost like recusing yourself from like the top five percentile yeah. that you yeah. actually want to hire. Yeah, so yeah. when you can paint the picture of like, here's the progression you're going to make over your first year. And when they look at that 12 month bucket, here's like what it alludes to beyond that. Yes. Like, I mean, that's again, how you speak to mm-hmm. this new talent strategy. So check yeah. out Lever's Jobs. We write them all as. Yeah, all right. Like, Everyone check out the Lever's yeah, Jobs. What impact I, you'll have in one, three, six, 12 months. I love that because that was my other problem with the job description was like the person that you really want is not going to read this job description. Yeah. And like knows Excel, you know, proficient with Excel and knows like what? what? Like no one's going to read that. And the breakout person that you want is never going to sit and read that thing. And they're probably not going to be inbound either, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you have to go to them with a compelling story, right? You're going to go outbound and you're going to go find them and you're going to have to find them with a compelling story. You're gonna- yeah. It also sets that person up for success on day one. Then you come in and it's like, okay, now what do I – you already know what you have to do. Here's yeah. the roadmap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. Go. Eight, 90% of onboarding. Check, All right. done. Yeah. DC, send us wrap, – wrap us up. Wrap Sarah, us up. where can we find you online? Oh my gosh. That's a great question. I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn. I am super easy to find on Twitter. Okay. So I'm at SRHNHM. Certainly if there's any talent leaders out there who want to talk shop about how to make change in this industry. I mean, just, you know, I nerd out about this stuff all day. And as we said at the beginning of the podcast, like meeting people, organizations, teams that... You love it. Yeah, I love it. That's I awesome. Love it. love it. So check out Sarah online and love leave it. a six-star review, not five-star. We only get six-star reviews. Yeah, we break the... Uh, Do you know anybody at Apple that could help us with the... Showing yeah. your six-star. Yeah. Yeah. People, people yeah. leave a five-star and then in the comments, they leave a six-star. Yeah. Right? So six-star rating only for Sarah. Give her some love. Follow her on Twitter. Check out Lever. Again, Keith has a huge crush on Lever. If you know Keith, you know he loves Lever. He does. Right? <laughs> Take care, everyone. Thanks, Sarah. Right. Thanks. See ya. Thanks.